All right, so this is the lead article for October's uh, Time and Materials publication. This is called The Operations. So, Viceroy's run operations. A household is supposed to be productive. According to C.R. Wiley, Man of the House, The Household and the War for the Cosmos. And, by the way, everyone should grab Wiley's book. Trust me. It means that you're most certainly going to be running some operations. Management is part of this gig, guy. You're going to be managing budgets, looking at how assets perform, concerned with personnel training, empowerment, well-being. Even those who don't feel particularly entrepreneurial are going to be called up into more. We're getting stretched into roles for which we feel no natural affection. We may, we may be naturally ill-suited to run operations, but that only means the grace will abound the more. The obedience, the stepping in, the stepping up, unlocks that which the king means to give us. This is good news. Your operations may start very small. One baby human, one little home office, one business account, an LLC, a part-time worker. I will remind you that the scriptures admonish us in Zechariah 4.10, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. This is a hard scripture to obey. Small beginnings are easily despised. They feel easily tossed aside and unspectacular and difficult to grow. But you've got to start somewhere. Viceroys have all sorts of micro-operations running, and rather big ones as well. Home gardens, chicken coops, household budgets, the rental property next door, the wife's businesses, the side gig, the consulting work, the one-off jobs to make the monthly budgets work. We are an industrial lot, an industrious lot, we Viceroys. The two talents must become four. We are greedy for responsibility, thrilled with expansion, honored to play a part in the ever-spreading kingdom. We like it. We enjoy watching our king's culture grow like a culture in a petri dish, infecting all around us. When we lift up the name of our king, well, he draws all men to himself. We like seeing well-ordered enterprise actual, actually producing for the benefit of others and our households. Now hold on, you might say. This seems a little too mixy-mixy. First, we're talking about lifting up the king's name. Then we're talking about running operations and businesses. What does business enterprise have to do with the work of ministry? Well, hang on there, Sunday school pants. We will get this ironed out soon enough. Surely you remember the parable of the master who went away and returned expecting that his servants had put all their resources to work to see he got his yield. Remember that? That's Luke 19, parable of the ten minus. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to lay claim to his kingship, and then returned. Beforehand, he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Conduct business with this until I return, he said. Since our king tells this, this story himself, he will return, and he expects that we will work hard to see he has a yield. Well, we ought to be paying attention to what we're doing with our lives and all of our assets. Running everything from a productive household to a multi-million dollar corporation can be done as an act of worship to the king and as a way to see his interests furthered in the earth. First, let's look at the etymology of the term business. Business, the noun. In Old English, business, which is Northumbrian, means care, anxiety, occupation. From bezig, careful, anxious, busy, occupied, diligent. This original sense is obsolete, as is the Middle English sense of state of being much occupied or engaged, the latter replaced by busyness. Johnson's Dictionary also has the word busyless, at leisure, without busyness, unemployed. 
modern-day two-syllable pronunciation in the 17th century, sense of a person's work, occupation, that which one does for a livelihood, is first recorded in the late 14th century. All right, so a sense of that which is undertaken as a duty is from the late 14th century, meaning what one is about at the moment is from the 1590s. A sense of trade, commercial engagement, mercantile pursuits collectively is first attested to, that's the way that we use the word, first attested to, in 1727, on the notion of matters which occupy one's time and attention. So the takeaway is this. This term business is in constant transition. It flows like this. Care, anxiety about what occupies our time, to the state of being busy and occupied and diligently engaged, engaged to that which one does to earn a living or a livelihood. But let's push that observation lens further back and see two important things. First is the nature of work, as Adam demonstrated it, and then we can get some business understanding from Abraham. First, Adam had an occupation before sin entered the story. He was at work. He was taking care of business, diligently engaged in divinely mandated property management from the get-go. He was probably good at it. We guess he liked it. Why not? As it was part of his created reason for being, glorifying God in his labors. I don't suppose he had a business card. Where would he keep them? Stark naked as he was. Second, his occupation and calling became more difficult. It became laborious, as the sin curse that was announced in the town square suddenly made its way to Adam's house. Business got hard, but it is still the domain of faithful men who sweat and grunt and take nasty phone calls for the good of those they support. We run hard and on fumes for the benefit of others, and so that we have goods to share and to be generous with. This is no less worshipful, even though it is more difficult in the world, that will one day be made right. Now to Abraham. Now, that one day that he heard his life's promise, mandate, mission, that day, it probably shifted something profound inside him. Abraham then demonstrated a clear, visceral commitment to, quote, pushing blessing into the earth. Look at Abraham, bestowing gifts, spoils to Melchizedek, insisting on paying a fair sum of his wife's tomb, splitting the herd and offering the green pastures to Lot, then rescuing Lot's captured operation, interceding for Sodom, training 318 men in his Bedouin operations, this guy was obsessed with faithfulness to Yahweh, a city not built by human hands, and being a blessing to others. Those were the things he was concerned about. That's Abrahamic. The great old gentleman. That belongs to you too, Viceroy. That is our heritage and our faithful blessing. Abraham had the following key business understandings. One, he trained men in his own tents. That is, wherever he found his employees, the guy managing massive herds, well, they spent time in Abraham's house. They received his culture. He believed in God's culture and imparted it to others. Sure, they got skill training, and they evidently got some weapons training with swords, but they also brushed up on a God culture that impacted them through Abrahamic blessing. This is instructive for us as men who run operations. Bring your employees around your own table and demonstrate the king's culture at your table, with your household present. Show off righteous order, peace, and joy, exuberance, joyful exuberance. They're not going to see it anywhere else. Personally, we've seen non-believers pipe up and offer a prayer to God for a key business meeting. It was strange. It was wonderful. 
That's right, people who don't walk with God feel like they need to offer prayers to God in our offices, and so they pray. Two, Abraham knew that his promised blessings came from God's hand, not from his own labors or from others. He waves off the spoils of war offered by other kings, and he says, look, if I take these spoils, you're going to boast that you made Abraham wealthy. He knew that no man could make him rich or poor. This is critical in business dealings. A contract doesn't materialize. Well, no man makes us rich. A deal goes sideways, and you have to restore some funds because you're a man who knows how to swear to your own hurt. No problem. The promise of blessing still stands. It stands on the hard days and in the defeats, and the day payroll is due. Three, you can overpay to bless. I'm always mystified by Christians who expect you to cut them a deal for services or pricing on a product just because you're in the same spiritual family. It's weird. Either we are people who bless or we aren't. Why aren't we adding 5% to the invoice to make sure the other Abrahamic brother can keep running his kingdom enterprise? It's crazy. If I'm assured of God's blessing, then I sure as heck better not be a cheapo. We are to be the most generous men in our town. 4. You never have to worry about your own reputation. Don't think a thing about it. Live well as unto the king. Be honorable. Do what you say. Be a diligent worker and let God sort out the reputation management. He's well able, quite motivated, to see his kingdom expanded. He sees, he repays, he can adjust far better than you and I can. So let it ride, baby. Just let it ride. Just keep doing business. Truthfully, you ought to be right well worried if all men speak well of you anyway. That's a real problem. You can bless your enemies too, by the way. Bless the guy who stiffs you on payment. We've only ever had four clients skate on their bill, and all four of them are out of business today. We didn't chase them down or take them to court. We just asked the king to look into the matter. Five. Lastly, Abraham worked for decades because this guy was gifted with very long vision. He didn't know that he would be che- that we would be cheering for him these five millennia later, or celebrating that we are in his spiritual genealogy. But we are. How could he have really known what all that was about? He just knew that one day his descendants would be too numerous to count. He walked through territory he could never possess in righteous obedience in obedience and scouted a land for his lineage. Quite a bit of what you will be doing in your operations will feel exactly like that. Scouting a one-day kingdom and slowly building a little legacy that will increase son after son after son. In summation, our operations are the terrain where the kingdom is demonstrated. Blessings flow outward and many sons are brought to glory. Remembering this, when a meeting goes bad or taxes are due, makes the whole thing sting just a little bit less, and solves that nasty case of the Monday blues.